So in the book of John, uh, there are seven times in which Jesus says, I am blank. And each statement gives us a glimpse into God's character and a glimpse into what God is like. And so we're doing this I Am series. It's a family series. Uh, Three times a year, we line up um, the kids, the youth, and um, the sanctuary where we all do the same thing. And so you can talk to your kids. If your kids are in kids' church this morning or if your uh, youth are going to youth, you can say, hey, what are you learning about? And you already know the answer, so they can't trick you. Jesus. Okay, it's more a little bit more than that, right? We're talking about how he is I am. He's all of these things. And so as a church family, I challenge you to memorize the seven I am statements of Jesus. And so you can find one of these on your way out or in your pew. And it has the seven verses of the I am statements of Jesus. And we've talked about how hiding scripture in your heart is so important because it, it comes out in just the right time. It comes out in your speech. It comes out in your, in your conversations with people. It's the promises that God brings to your mind when you're up against difficult things. So I want to encourage you uh, to um, memorize these scriptures by the end of July. And so if you haven't started yet, it's only the 15th. So you have two or so more weeks. Um, in fact, in our staff meeting, they are all memorizing these. And on July 31st, it's D-Day, and we all are going to memorize and tell them to each other. And so um, we really believe in memorizing scripture and committing the word of God to our minds. So would you join with me and the staff and memorize these um, seven I am statements of Jesus? Also, for this um, series, we asked some incredible artists, in fact, Bree, who shared with you during worship, is one of them that did many of these paintings today. Um, We asked them to express uh, what the I am statement um, really is artistically, what they get from it. And so you can see here across the um, the platform here that there's the different expressions, and they're just amazing. These artists have captured who Jesus says he is. And the entire point of this series is we want to connect you with the great I am. We want to connect you with the great I am because the great I am so much wants to connect with you. He has done everything possible to get rid of every obstacle to have a relationship with you. And that is what the whole point of this month is. So let's read today um, from John 10, 11 through 18. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away, and then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. I am the good shepherd. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have... Other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Next time I'm going to read off my notes. Sorry, that was messing me up. All right, but we're going to talk about John 10. We're going to talk about I am the good shepherd. So to fully understand this I am statement, we have to back up a little bit. We talked about how these statements all on their own uh, seem a little disheveled and and confusing, but if we look at the context, we can really understand it. So we're going to back up to John 9, which is the chapter before John 10. And in John 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. And if you remember, Jesus spits on the ground, he makes mud with his saliva, and he puts mud on the man's eyes, and then the, the man, he says, go wash off in the pool, and when you wash it off, you'll be able to see. 
And so he does this miracle for this man. And the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of Israel, they were intended to be these faithful shepherds over God's flock of people. They were the people who God entrusted to act like he acts, to have the values that he values. And they were the people that he said, go and be an extension of who I am to these people. And the Pharisees failed and failed and failed some more. And they just, every single time, had these moments where they did not act at all how Jesus would. So the Pharisees saw the man. Now you would think, if you were someone who was an extension of Jesus, who was an extension of his work, if you found out a man was, was blind, but now he could see, what would your response be? Okay. Weak, but yeah, right, like, hey, we're excited. That's awesome. Thank God for what he did. But you know what the Pharisees did? They got frustrated with him. They said, now wait a minute, uh, did you do that on the Sabbath? The guy's like, are you kidding? I can see now. I haven't been able to see my whole life, and I can see. I don't know what day it is. I can see. And, and they got frustrated with him, and, and they, they threw him out of the temple, and they treated him disrespectfully. And every question they asked him, they grilled him with questions, and every answer he gave, they just, said, they just were critical of it and negative. And the Pharisees were so concerned that Jesus had violated their rule about no healing on the Sabbath, that, that, that they were so frustrated with that that they completely missed the miracle. And that wasn't the first time that Jesus um, did healed on the Sabbath. In fact, in John 5, just a few chapters earlier, he heals a lame man by the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees were so caught up in this detail, they had lost the ability to see the big picture, and they missed the miracle. And the first thing I felt so strongly to come here today and share with you is that so often when God doesn't do it the way you had written in your mind, so often when, when God's timing isn't yours, when it isn't the way that you imagined your life to be, we just completely miss the miracle. Be careful not to miss thanking God who brought you through even if you wouldn't have chosen to, for it to look that way. If God has brought you to the other side of that struggle and that challenge and that prayer that you have made, you cannot criticize God on the way that he did it. He brought you through. He is the good shepherd. He brought him through. And so the Pharisees, they're stuck. They're stuck. And so they're completely missing the miracle. Just completely missing it. And the religious leaders, they were supposed to be shepherds. And honestly, they were terrible at it. <laughs> They were terrible shepherds. They ridiculed the people. They used their power to threaten people. They were arrogant. And so in John 10, this is the context where he writes this. He says, listen, there's a difference between hired hands and shepherds. And the Pharisees are, are thinking, yeah, we're the shepherds. And Jesus is thinking, you're the hired hands. Like, like, listen to what I'm saying here. There's a difference because the hired hands, when they see the wolf coming, they abandon the sheep and they run away. They don't care about the sheep they're all about themselves. But the shepherd is selfless. Now, the Pharisees knew the Old Testament. They knew it inside and out. And in Ezekiel 34, the Lord goes head to head with the religious leaders of Israel. This is not a new thing for, for Jesus, he, for the Lord. They, he had to go head to head with religious leaders in all of time. And he says to these religious leaders in Ezekiel 34, you're self-centered, you're greedy, you are not caring for the hurting. And he pronounces judgment on those false shepherds. And he actually prophesies this I am statement that we see here in John 10 
In Ezekiel 34, it says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them, and he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then verse 30 says, Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. And he's reminding the leaders, listen, they don't have it right. Those leaders didn't have it right. But he's also reminding the people in this scripture that no matter how you have been treated, that he is the shepherd. That no matter how you have been treated, he is the shepherd. That there are no perfect leaders because there are no perfect people. And there are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. But this I am statement reminds us that God has this intention for leaders. He has this intention for leaders to be shepherds, and they're going to fail at times. That even in their best efforts, even the purest of heart, the people that want to do the right thing, the leaders that want to do the right thing, they are going to misrepresent the good shepherd at times because we're human and we're broken, and just sometimes we make bad decisions. But what he's reminding us in the Old Testament and then again in the New is what we can't lose sight of is Jesus is our good shepherd no matter what experiences we have had. No matter what offenses we carry, justified or unjustified, our faith and trust cannot be wrapped up in any leader. Our faith and trust cannot be wrapped up in any organization. That is never what God intended for it to be. It must be in the good shepherd who will never fail us and who will never let us down. And when we adjust our focus to that, it makes it a lot easier to go to church, doesn't it? Because it becomes so much less about the people that are in the church and the people that are leading you and and if they got it right and if they're doing it the way I want them to do it and if my opinion matters, it becomes so much more about how Jesus is the good shepherd. And you know, he talks all the time, Jesus loves the church. He calls the church his bride. That, that is maybe the most loving thing that anyone could, any metaphor you could, you could call. He calls him his bride. He loves the sheep in the church. He loves the sheep, even the grumpy ones, even the opinionated ones. I saw this uh, uh, meme before that it says, raise your right hand, put it over your mouth. <laughs> and sometimes I just want to send that to people. Like, you have an opinion, great, you know? Like just, like, just keep that to yourself. But Jesus says, you can email me anytime. That's not what I mean. Go, go ahead. But if we are to be like Jesus, then we are called to love the church. We are called to love the sheep the best way we know how. We can't give up on the church because some shepherd missed the mark and failed us. Because listen, thank God he doesn't do that to us. Thank God that the good shepherd doesn't just get annoyed with the way that we say things or, or doesn't, d- doesn't have these petty frustrations with us. Thank God he doesn't give up on us the way that we give up on leaders at times. And I fully believe that the closer you get to Jesus the more you love the church. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you love the church, and the more you're going to love the sheep in the church. It's not the other way around. We get that mixed up at times. The closer we get to the church, the more we love Jesus. It's opposite. 
The closer we get to Jesus, the more that we're going to love the church and the sheep in the church. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So now that we understand the context, we understand the background, I want to look closer at two words today, the two words in the I am statement, and those words are good and shepherd, all right? But I want to start with shepherd just to keep you awake, all right? Just, I'm just going to backwards it for you. So we can call Jesus our shepherd. I want to talk about why that's important, why, why that context happens, because most of us in this room today are not shepherds. All right? That was not the case in, when this was written in, in the early church. Many people were shepherds. That was a very common job for people to have. But for us, we don't really understand that a lot. Not many of us are shepherds in 2018. And so I want to describe to you the layout. The main part of Judea was a central plateau. And it stretched from Bethel to Hebron for a distance of about 35 miles, if you can imagine that. And the ground, for the most part, was rough. It was stony. And so that particular land was not known for agriculture. They weren't farming a lot in that particular area. The, the most familiar figure in the Judean uplands was a shepherd. That was who you saw when you were walking to Quickville to get your snack. You saw the shepherds. That's who you ran into on the street. Those are the people you talked to. Those were the, the people in your community. They were shepherds. And the shepherd's life was hard. No flock ever grazed without a shepherd. He was never off duty. There was, there was little grass. Um, the sheep were bound to wander, and there was no protecting walls. And so the sheep had to constantly be watched, constantly be watched. On either side of the plateau, the ground dipped sharply to the desert. And so the sheep, they were always liable to get hurt, get, get lost or go astray, and if they went very far, um, they would be in real danger. Um, this weekend, my family went to Panama Rocks, and um, I took my, the whole crew, my husband and my three kids are 10, five, and three, so I have two pretty much toddlers at home, and so they're little, and you go into there, if you've ever been there, and the guy gives you a pep talk, and he says, here's your map, here's all the terrible things that can happen to you. You could fall off a cliff. You could, you, could, you could break your leg. You could do this. You could do this. He, he's like, when you get on the high rocks, there's these crevices. Okay, by the end of his speech, my children are crying. Okay, I mean, they are just, uh, I don't want to go. We don't want to go. And so we're walking out of there. Joel's going, okay, I'm just going to give him pep talk. Like, it's okay. We're going to be there with you. They were literally terrified the entire, I, his intentions were good. But my children were so afraid they were going to fall off a 30-foot cliff that they were death-gripping us the entire time. Now, there is some danger there. Not quite as much as that guy exaggerated to be. But in this particular environment, these sheep didn't know, much like my children, where the danger was. And so the shepherd had to say, if you go over there, you're going to fall down a cliff and you're going to get hurt or you're going to get lost. And so the shepherd's task was not only constant, but it was dangerous. There was also wild animals. There were wolves. There were thieves. There were robbers, people who would try to steal the sheep. And so shepherds were constantly vigilant. They were fearlessly courageous. And they were patiently loving. No wonder Christ used the shepherd as an example and picture of who he is. He is constantly vigilant over our lives. He, he, he counts every tear. 
He records every thought. He, he knows the parts of your heart and your life that you've never told anyone else about. He is constantly vigilant. He is fearlessly courageous to fight all of your battles, to protect you from every harm. And he is patiently loving as we stumble and fall and, and crack under life's tests and under life's trials. He is all of these things. And so he, he uses this example in the culture. He says, look, I am just like those shepherds. I am constantly looking over your life. I'm courageous at all times. I'm loving you patiently every single day. It was interesting that the Jews have a legend. It's not in the scripture, but it's a legend they used to tell each other um, to explain why God chose Moses to be the leader of his people. Because Moses was a very unlikely candidate. Uh, he had a stutter. People didn't really think he was you know, the natural leader. And so they say, well, there must be a reason that God chose Moses. And this is the, the legend that when Moses was feeding the sheep of his father-in-law in the wilderness, one of them ran away and he followed it. And, and he climbed down a ravine and, and he, he gave it a drink and, and he brought it all the way back home and he carried it on his shoulders. And when he got all the way back um, to, the, to his village to put the sheep in a safe place, God said, because you have shown pity in leading one of a flock belonging to a man, you shall lead my flock, Israel. God is looking for leaders who will respond the way he does. And so when Moses showed his great compassion and care for the sheep, God knew he would be a great leader. God knew he would be a great leader. In fact, many shepherds, if they were good shepherds, they were good leaders. If they were bad shepherds, they weren't great leaders. They tell a story in the scripture. It's very, um, you have to look for it. It's very in a small place. But Saul, who ended up being a very bad king, if you remember, he lost a bunch of donkeys. And they say that being a shepherd and being a leader are very much connected. And so in John 10, the shepherd, just like Moses in that, that legend, comes to the sheep. And what God is saying us today is he has a desire to be close to us. The Lord has a desire to, to, to hear from us, that we don't have to compete for God's attention, that his ear is turned toward us and he comes to us and, and he looks for ways to show us kindness, much like the shepherd. It's interesting, you might know this, sheep are one of the few animals that can't survive in the wild on their own. They, they never actually, uh, some animals, you know, um, like cats, if they're in your home, they couldn't survive in the wild, but if they're, you know, barn cats or, or out, out in the wild, they kind of turn into this, have these skills and abilities to survive on their own. Sheep can't survive on their own. Even if you leave them alone, they never actually turn into like a wild sheep. <laughs> they need someone to take care of them. And I believe that this is a great picture of us. Just like we sang this morning, I need you, God. We, we can't survive on our own. We need God to take care of us. We may think we have life figured out. We may think that we can handle our circumstances. We may think if we have enough money saved or, or, or have the right friends or know the right people that we can figure it out, we can survive on our own. But the truth is we can't. Not for very long. We need God. We need God in our lives. And in this passage in John 10, it says that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they follow him. That, that the sheep that know him know the shepherd's voice and they, and they follow him. And literally, it's interesting, sheep will not follow the voice of a stranger. In fact, I was reading stories about how uh, villages would set up one kind of family village pen and all of the sheep would go in there at night 
you know, all of them, Ralph and Ed and, you know, I don't know, whatever they named their sheep then. And they would all hang out together. And then in the morning, shepherds would come to the gate and they would stand at the gate and they would yell for their sheep. And then only certain ones would come, come running. Can you even imagine that? And then they would take their sheep and go out to the pasture. And then the next shepherd would come up and they would yell something. And then the sheep would come up. And, and literally, the shepherd, uh, this is a, from a book called The Land in the Book. The author was W.M. Thompson, and he described it this way. The shepherd calls sharply from time to time to remind them of his presence. They know his voice and follow on. But if a stranger calls, they stop short, lift up their heads in alarm. And if it is repeated, they turn and flee because they know not the voice of the stranger. He says, I have made the experiment repeatedly. That sheep know their shepherd. And this is exactly John's picture in scripture. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you know his voice? Can you follow closely the shepherd, when God tells you something, do you know it's God? And do you move on what he's saying? God speaks to us. He wants us to hear him. He speaks through his word. He speaks through other people. He speaks through dreams. God even speaks through our pain. And there is not one area of your life that God isn't interested in the outcome of the circumstances. Not one area. Not one thing he's disinterested in. There is not one thing he doesn't want you to talk to him about. No sin, no, no, no difficult circumstance, no impossible situation. There is not one thing that he doesn't want you to bring to him. For him to, to listen and to hear and for you to hear his voice on. And we can call Jesus our shepherd. So secondly, I want to talk about good, the word good. Not only can we call Jesus our shepherd, he's not just shepherd, but he's our good shepherd. He's our good shepherd. We can call Jesus good. In Greek, there are two words for good. There is agathos, which simply means good of nature. And then there is kalos, which means effect, attractively good. Attractively good. And so a good that motivates others to embrace what is lovely and beautiful, an outward sign of an inward good. And so when Jesus is described as the good shepherd, the word is kalos. It means that there is more than goodness in him. There is this loveliness. There is this attractiveness. There is this thing that makes us want to be good too. Sometimes in a village or a town, people will speak about a good doctor have you heard of that before? Like, like the, the good doctor. They're not thinking of the doctor's efficiency, although they probably have short wait times in their waiting room, but they're not talking about the skill of the physician. When they're saying a good doctor, they're thinking of the sympathy, the kindness, the graciousness which he brought with him and which made him the friend of all. And in this picture of Jesus as the good shepherd, there is loveliness and strength and power that he is good, that he is good to us, that he is good to the core, that he's good to the bone, that everything he does is good, he's good and all that he says is good and his goodness makes us want to be good. That's the kind of good that he's talking about here. We need to wrestle to the ground if we truly believe that God is good. I believe that is a real turning point in our faith. If you haven't processed that, if you haven't thought about that, you need to really decide in your mind if you truly believe 
that God is good? Do you believe in your pain and in your suffering that God is good? In the middle of your deep pain, could God truly be good? Maybe you're watching someone else go through something very difficult. Maybe you're just watching the news or watching what's happening to our country or around our world. And maybe you question, you've thought to yourself, could God really be good with all of these things happening? Could God really be good? Could, could affliction, could this larger, longer perspective in some way, somehow, turn itself around to be a method of blessing? I've heard it said before that suffering is one of the great instruments in God's hands to reveal to us our dependence and hope in him. And that God is good to give us the gift of more of himself, no matter how he chooses to deliver that gift. That God is good. And I'm constantly reminded that he knows what we need better than we do. We think we know what we need. But he knows what we need better than, than we do. Much like a, like a master physician with a painful prescription, his ultimate goal is not our harm, but our greatest good. You know, so many times in our physical bodies, you have to do things that hurt to get you better, right? You have to, you know, flex the muscle, flex the muscle. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts to get you better. That's what you have to do. And so that pain is all working out into the greatest good. The prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. It's this little itty book. It doesn't get read much because it's not very joyful, okay? In fact, it's a lot of um, destruction and these terrible things are going to happen. And he wrote this little book as Jerusalem was destroyed in 587 B.C. And the pictures of destruction are terrible. It's not a bedtime story, okay? But in the middle of this five-chapter book, comes the sweetest, most precious words that God maybe has ever put in the mouth of a prophet to tell his people. Lamentations 3, 21 through 25, it says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. And the merciful purpose in our pain is often hidden. It's often hidden. It's like uh, in the middle of this terrible situation in Lamentations, the prophet is just inserting this little bit of hope. I know all of this destruction is happening and it's not over yet. This is gonna be a long, hard trial, but let me just remind you that if you will trust God, there are mercies in that pain. That there are mercies in that affliction because he is good because he is good, because he is the good shepherd. And so no matter what you're trampling through right now, no matter what circumstances look like, no matter how bleak it looks like in the future, that he's saying in Lamentations that the merciful purpose in our pain is there. It is hidden sometimes, but it is there. 
In James 5.11, it says something similar. It's, uh, James is writing and he says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and full of mercy. If you remember Job's story, he had 10 children and he lost all 10 of his children. All 10. He lost all of his health. He lost all of his possessions. He lost all of his stuff. And James is saying that the purpose of the Lord in all of that was compassionate and merciful. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know all of your life circumstances, but I do know that if you will trust God, that he is good. If you will trust God, his mercy and his compassion will be all over your life. And in your pain, if you will trust God and hold on to that hymn, that there is mercy in there somewhere, it will show itself sooner or later. I read a story about a family named Susan and Marshall Shelley, and they're editors of Christianity Today. And in fact, after I wrote down this story, I was thinking about how there are some of you in this room who could tell the same story or something very similar. And he tells a story about on November 22nd, a few days before Thanksgiving, they had a son. And two minutes later, the son died on complications. And he wrote an article in Christianity Today four years later, and he, he titled the article, Two Minutes to Eternity. And the only moment, the only moment that they had with their son was the nurse that was holding the baby said, does the baby have a name? And they said, Tobiah, which means God is good. And when Marshall spoke at a college several years later, he told this story, and he ends his talk summing it all up, and he says, life is hard, but God is good. 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 And, and this is the meaning of lamentations. That God may choose to speak to us through our pain. That God may choose um, to allow us to have circumstances so we can understand that he is good. That, that this will happen. This is the meaning of Job. In fact, this is one of the meanings of the whole scripture. That life is going to be hard. But God is always going to be good. That life actually always is going to be hard, but God is always going to be good. And I believe many of you this morning are right in the midst of proving this very thing to be true right now, that God is trustworthy, that he is a good shepherd, that life is very difficult for you, but God is so, so truly good. And my prayer today is that God would give us eyes to see his mercies in our lives, that he would give us eyes to see them more clearly, that, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die so that our guilt would be taken away, that our, his, our wrath would be removed from us, and that we would be free. And, and even though I'm a sinner, that I'm treated with mercy, that is this glorious thing that God has done in Jesus Christ. And, and in that, I know that God is good. 
Even if that is the only thing that I can point to, that I can testify to in my life at times, that we can taste all of the mercies more sweetly if we remember the price that Jesus paid for us. We can call Jesus shepherd, and not just shepherd. We can call Jesus good shepherd. Good shepherd. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I will lay my life down for the sheep. And that is what he did. That's what he did. That's what he sent his son to do. And that is what he did. And because of that, his mercies are new every morning. And in our pain, we can find the goodness of who God is. So would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you have given us this promise in in John and and Ezekiel and, and all through the scripture that life is hard, but God, you're good. You're not just our shepherd. You're not just saving us from destruction and disaster and watching over us and fearlessly, courageously being our leader, God, but you are good. You are good, and your purposes and your mercy are are the thing that can rise to the top in the middle of our frustration and our pain. And God, I pray today for all of us in this room that our lenses would be focused. Lord God, that we could look further and longer down the road if we only see the circumstances right now that you are bringing good from the pain that we face, that you are bringing good from the frustration that is right before us. Father, help us move into the spiritual maturity of being able to declare that God, even if you don't do it the way I thought or the way I expected, you are still good. Even if you don't do it at all, you are still good. And I pray, Lord, that we could be a people that declare so boldly and so courageously with all of our lives and all of our, everything we say and everything we do, that you are our good shepherd and there's nothing that will change that. And God, we stand on that promise today and we go forth in that just complete truth. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.